This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Exodus chapter 4 is where we'll land tonight. Exodus chapter 4. And I've been on this passage of Scripture for a pretty good little while, my own heart and mind. And uh, it's, uh, it just keeps uh, plowing up in more things. I worked for a landscaping company for a while when I was younger and more mobile. And uh, we would prep these, mostly new construction, we'd prep these lot, lawns for a, what do they call it, sod or hydromulch or whatever we were going to do to it. And uh, we'd rake the whole thing out, rake all the rocks out. You ever been there? You done all that? And we'd rake it all down, and I never got to ride the tractor. You know, I was the rake. And uh, we'd get it all done. you think it's perfect. And, uh, man, you'd start over and get the same amount out the next time. Same amount of rocks. Keep coming out. Keep coming out. And that's kind of where I've been in this passage of Scripture. I was just trying to think about how long. But I remember I talked to one of my classes in school about... Uh, a portion of this, but what God's Word, what God's been dealing with my heart in this passage of Scripture. The Bible has lots of answers. In fact, we say the Bible has every answer. That's what we say. I'm not sure I live there, but uh, in terms of believing it and practicing it, practicing it, but that's what we say. But the Bible also has lots of questions. And I've been meditating and thinking about some of those. Now, there are lots of questions that we come across day to day. I read some of these to my class. I was thinking, what are the great questions of life? I don't mean, where did I come from? Where am I going? Everybody asks those questions. I mean the great questions of life, like, uh, what makes a number two pencil so special? <laughs> I mean, really. It's probably on our supply list, I imagine, a number two pencil. What well, makes it number two? There's probably an answer. I don't know. I didn't get the answers to these. Uh, now, this really does have an answer. I'm not going to share it with you, but you can look it up yourself. Same place I found it, the dictionary. I mean, encyclopedia, <laughs> whatever that is. What move is most likely to win in rock, paper, scissors? Whoa! Now, that's a, valuable, that's, a, that's a valuable piece of information right there. Questions. Questions. Somebody said, this is, this is a serious worldview implication question. Can an expectant mother drive in the HOV lane? <laughs> yeah. Depends on what state you're in, tragically enough. But uh, questions. But the Bible has lots of questions. The Bible, can you think of any questions in the Bible? If I were in a class, we would just say, talk back. You can talk back to me. My, uh, I think it was geometry class. Came up with some pretty, some pretty good ones. Not, I mean, they didn't come up with them, they were in the Bible. But uh, they thought of them. Uh, yea, hath God said? I think that's the first question in the Bible. Yea, hath God said? It's a good question. If a man die, shall he live again? It's in Job. It's a good question. Everybody has to think about that. What about... What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world 
and lose his own soul? Important question. As God's word gives it to us. Pilate said, what shall I do with this man called Christ? And we'd say the same thing. What shall you do with this man called What am I going to do with this man called Christ? And most important, maybe the most important question. The important questions from God's word. What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer asked Paul. That's an important question. The Bible has lots of, lots of questions. And that's where we find our attention to in Exodus chapter 4. But we get to, before we get to Exodus chapter 4, let's back up a little bit. And uh, a little unusual, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read all of these, this entire passage of Scripture for the sake of time and lay quite a groundwork just, just thinking as God's been working in my heart and life through this passage of Scripture. And then we'll come to a conclusion real quickly at the end. And uh, so don't panic. It won't last long. All right? Exodus. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for your goodness, and we need your help as we come to your word, the eternal living word of God. Lord, I pray that you would clear our hearts and mind and hold from our lips the things that wouldn't be edifying and bring to our mind and things that would be your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I imagine most people in this crowd tonight know what the book of Exodus is about. You know who it is about predominantly, but we find early in, in the book of Exodus, God's people are in captivity. In Genesis chapter 13, God makes a promise to Abraham that he's going to give his people a land and they're going to be as innumerable. That's in Exodus chapter 13. About 400 years later, we still find God's people without that promise fulfilled. As a matter of fact, a long way from that promise. I imagine maybe when God made that promise to Abraham, Abraham had a lot of faith. I, I think maybe he could have even, he was a very wealthy man. He had, everything seemed to be going all right. I mean, he had his struggles with Lot and some things, but he had trusted God. And maybe he thought at times, you know what, I can see where this is going to happen. But as time went on, decade after decade, another hundred years, God's people were a long way from it. And now they'd found themselves in Egypt, and maybe 200, 215 years, depending on who you're reading after, they're in, they're in Egypt, and it became bondage didn't start that way. It was great deliverance at first as Joseph landed there and then brought his family, 70 of them. And now a couple hundred years later, they're in bondage. And it's a pretty dark day as we get to Exodus chapter 2, back up to Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. And Pharaoh charged all his people saying, every son that is born shall ye shall cast into the river. Now that's a dark day. And in light of that, if that is the backdrop, then we get to chapter 2 and verse 1, 
And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. Now, if you're looking at that in light of chapter 1, verse 22, that's not particularly good news. Because Pharaoh just said, every male child that's born, you're going to cast into the river. That is brutal. I mean, we talk about our country and how far we've slipped and where we are away from God, and that's all true. But we're not there yet. That, that is gruesome. Every male child, just throw them in the river. And then God's word just goes right from there to, there's a man, he met a woman, and they had a son. Wow. Who could have imagined that the man that God was going to use to fulfill his promise and deliver his people was born in that impossible time? Impossible. Impossible. But God's going to take that time, and in that time, this man, this boy was born. What chance did he have? None. Except God. No chance. I imagine if I'm sitting around those camps with the Israelites, I'm thinking, this is terrible. I don't know. God promised a long time ago, we're never going to get out of here. Now, look, they're killing all of our babies But God, God hadn't forgotten. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Moses grows up. We'll, we'll fast forward through the story. And uh, he's reared in Pharaoh's home in the palace, but his mother taking care of him, tutoring him. And at a point in his life, he kills a man. That's a pretty tough thing, too. He killed a man. He hit him in the sand, thought he got away with it. Next day, he's out, and he discovers he didn't get away with it. I said, well, you're going to do the same thing to me? You did that guy yesterday? So he leaves. He leaves. And he flees. He's scared. And he runs. And I find it interesting, he runs, if you looked up a Bible map, he leaves Egypt and he runs to Midian. <laughs> he's going to live there, he's going to be there uh, a, few, a few decades later in a whole different situation. But he gets to Midian and he becomes a shepherd. And the Bible tells us, uh, let's, let's fast forward to maybe verse 21, chapter 2 and verse 21. Well, let's back up just a little bit. It says, uh, verse, and the shepherds came, verse 17, verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. That's important in this story. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Seven sisters. You know Moses wasn't stupid. <laughs> so... He's helping out here. And when they came to Rael, their father, he said, How is it that you're come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. 
<laughs> and Jethro said, why'd you let him get away? <laughs> There's seven of you girls. One of you wake up. That's what he said, translation of that. And he said to his daughters, and where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread and marry one of you. Verse 21. Verse 21. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. Now, on the funny side of that, you say, I guess he was. <laughs> but seriously, Moses was content to dwell with the man. Now, the Bible does tell us that godliness with contentment is great gain. Be content with such things as you have. Because Christ said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But at this point, Moses was not fulfilling what God had planned for his life. And I wonder how many times in my life I get content short of what God has for me. See, Moses was content. Look, he had it made. Jethro's probably a pretty wealthy man. Marries one of his daughters. Gets to be, I mean, compared to what he was facing in Egypt, there's no pressure here. In the desert, just tending sheep, running off bad shepherds every once in a while. But the Bible says he is content to dwell there. And I don't want to get content, young person, old person. May God help us not to be content. It's so easy. It's so easy in this Western culture in which we live to just settle in and be content. Look, I'm saved. I believe that means what the Bible teaches. I have eternal life. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to spend eternity with God forever. For that, I'm grateful. And it's pretty easy sometimes just to say, you know, I'm content. I'm content. After all, I'm nearer the end than the beginning. For me. And Moses... Moses here is content, but that's not what God had for him. And he says, verse 22, verse 23, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. The king of Egypt died. I read a quote just today. I think it was today. Uh, it said, graveyards are filled with indispensable people. <laughs> I imagine Pharaoh thought he was pretty important for a while. But he died, like all the pharaohs before him and all the pharaohs since. And he died. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. It's heavy. And they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And I've marked these things in verse 24 and 25. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant. You can mark there Genesis chapter 13, verse 14 through 18. We won't take time to go back there, but that's when God promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a country and give you a people. And it says God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. 
Chapter 3, we get to to Moses' official call, if you will. And he's out tending the sheep and the bush is burning and it's not consumed. And he turns aside to see it. And God says to him in verse 7 of chapter 3, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come upon me, come unto me, excuse me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, can you think of anything more exciting than God talking to you right there and saying, you come, I've chosen you, and you come with me, and we're going to deliver my people. That's not exactly the response that Moses had. Look at verse 11. And Moses said unto God, who am I? And I want to think, as my dad would say, as a smart aleck, whatever that is, and say, what does it matter who you are? It doesn't matter. Because, do you see what else God said? Certainly I will be with thee, verse 12. So Moses says, who am I? And we all fight that. I won't speak for all of us. I'll speak for me. That pride, that selfishness, that it didn't matter. God could have used anyone. He happened to choose a boy that was born in the impossible time in, in the, the most bizarre circumstances, his Nick's t-shirt. I'm, are you serious? I want to read that and say, are you serious? You're going to choose Moses? And he says, Moses, I'm going to take you. Come with me. We're going to leave my people. Moses says, who am I? He's the same as you and I, nothing. But God didn't need anything except a willing vessel. And God's so patient, he's so patient with me, just like he was with Moses, and he kept, he kept pleading and kept pleading, and Moses kept saying no and kept saying giving, and kept giving excuses. And God's so patient and tender and kind. I mean, I'm thinking if I was God and I'm not, obviously, if I was God, I would have said, fine, I'll do it myself or I'll get somebody else. Or I'm sure somebody wants to do this. I mean, the God of the universe says, Moses, come with me and let's get this. And Moses says, eh, I don't know, I can't. I'm content here with my sheep. Certainly I will be with thee, verse 12, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. I mean, this very mountain where you're standing right here, Horeb, right there. They're a long way from there. They're in Egypt. A sea apart. God says, I promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, this mountain right here. And that's where Moses is. And he says, I just can't. I can't. And Moses said unto God, Behold, 
where I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? God said unto Moses, I am that I am. So you got Moses saying up there, Who am I? God gives the answer. I am. God says, I am that I am. There's your answer. That's all you need. I am hath sent me unto you, God said to tell Moses. So he says over in verse 16, if you'll skip with me, chapter 3, verse 16, go. That's pretty simple. Isn't that a simple word? Go. I mean, you can say that real fast. Go. Mark said go. <laughs> oh, why is it so difficult for us? Because we want to stay, not go. We want to stay. God just says, go, and gather the elders of Israel together, and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you, and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt, unto the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, unto the land flowing with milk and honey. That same promise, that same promise, same promise, same group of people, same nations are going to conquer, same land, same milk and honey. God's faithful. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come thou and the elders of Israel. Now at this point, I've got to be thinking, Moses gained some confidence. I mean, God keeps saying, look, Moses, we can do this. And ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us. I'm in verse 18. And now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, is what he's supposed to say to Pharaoh, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I love this phrase. I don't know why this phrase has caught my attention so much, but God said in verse 19, And I am sure that the king of Israel will not let you go. When is God never, when is God not sure? But he said, I just love that. He's talking to Moses. And he says, I'm sure the king's not going to let you go. I'm sure. <laughs> and I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he'll let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. That is exceeding abundantly above all. Not only are you going to go, 600,000 men plus women and children who, you know, whatever it is, 1.2 million or 3 million or 4 million, whatever, it's a lot. Not only are you going to go, but you're not going to just like escape by the skin of your teeth. You're going to go out. You're going to, you're not go out empty. But every woman shall borrow. Don't you like that choice of the word in our English Bible? It really means ask, but I like that choice of borrow. I've had some people borrow some stuff like this from me. Actually, I've borrowed some stuff like this from other people. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor in her house. They weren't going to get it back. And of her that sojourneth in her house, jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, 
get this, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. I mean, it's like, I'm not just going to deliver you from them, and you're not going to be their slaves anymore. It's like you conquered them in battle. Now, Moses got to be thinking, this all sounds pretty good, but I don't, I don't get it. I'm not sure how that's going to all play out. I'm sure Moses thought, now, God, I know you know, but I grew up back there, and I know how those Pharaoh guys think. And this is not really how they think. And I don't think they're going to be quite as excited about seeing these people go as you say. How do I, why do I think that? Because he says in chapter 4 and verse 1, and Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me. So much for the pep talk. Nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord has not appeared unto thee. So, now we get to chapter 4 and verse 2, and this is really where I started. So here's what God says to Moses. What is that in thine hand? What is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. Wasn't a trick question. Simple answer. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. What is that in thine hand? And he cast it down. Schofield said, if you have a Schofield Bible, Schofield says, it was cast down, became a serpent, picked up by faith. And when he picked it up by faith, would you look at verse 20? And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt. Look at the end of verse 20. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Now, I got to tell you, there's all the difference in the universe between a rod that Moses fashioned out of some tree that he found out in the desert and the rod of God. The rod of God. When God touches something, then it's extraordinary. And that's what he did for Moses. You can read, you can read about the hand and bosom and the leprosy, and there's significant things there, but not the point for tonight. We'll get back to it some other time. But he cast this rod down. It's just a rod. What's that in thine hand? Moses, Moses, what's that in thine hand? It was a rod. Cast it down. And he did. And then he had enough faith to pick it up. Not sure I would have been there. But he did. And he immediately knew God's power. Immediately. Something like that mantle that Elisha slapped down on the river when Elijah ascended. But it was nothing special, still the same rod. But now it was the rod of God. Not just a rod, not just a rod in his hand, but the rod of God. What is that in thine hand? That simple rod. And I'm thinking, God uses the most simple things. See, Moses said, who am I? God didn't need the most, most anything. 
God just needed someone to do what he said. That's all he was after. It's like, it's like Joshua. Remember Joshua? When he took over after Moses died and they're going into Canaan, the first town they come to is Jericho. They've got to conquer Jericho. Big walled cities of Jericho. How are they going to do that? Mount an army. They've got a lot of wealth. They've got a big army, a lot of stuff. God says, no, you're going to march around it in six days. Don't say anything. I'm not going to trash talk. I'm going to say, we're taking you down. Just going to march around on the seventh day. We're going to march around the seventh time. They're all going to shout. And the walls are going to fall down. Just a simple plan. Shamgar, 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Same, just stick. 600 of them. Fill this room twice. And he took care of them. How about Gideon? Gideon, he's so scared, he's hiding. He's hiding in the wine press. He's hiding. He doesn't want anybody to see him. God says, no, I'm looking for you, Gideon. I'm talking about you. He says, I'm the least, I'm the least of the least. God says, no, nope, I'm going to use you to deliver my people from the Midianites. And then Gideon got pretty excited because he rounded up 30. He did a pretty good job. He recruited 32,000 people. God says, nope, let's get rid of about 31,700 of them. And then we're going to get the Midianites. Oh, yeah, how are we going to do that? I'll get yourself some lanterns and pitchers and trumpets. See, God doesn't need me, doesn't need you in the sense that he needs who I am or what I am. He just needs a vessel. And he's going to get his work done. And he says to Moses, what is that in thine hand? David takes five smooth stones, what Troy was talking about last week. Five smooth stones, just five, five smooth stones. He only needed one. Five loaves and two small fishes. What is that among so many? It's nothing. It's less than nothing. Until God touched it. Hold it. What about that? What about that shy little virgin girl like thousands and thousands of others in the nation of Israel? And God's Holy Spirit conceived in her the very Son of God. What is that in thine hand? Moses, what is that in thine hand? Moses said, it's a rod. God took it. Three things quickly and I'll be done. I'm thinking about that. And I've been thinking about this for weeks, weeks and weeks. What is that in thine hand? And I'm thinking, what has God put in my hands? What has God put in your hand? What about the Tabernacle Baptist Church? In Hickory, North Carolina, what's in our hands? Three things quickly. Number one, as we think about what is this in thy hand. Number one, opportunity. Opportunity. Many of us grew up here and all the time. None of us have the same opportunity or the same ability, right? I think Dan Schott said that originally. None of us have the same opportunity or the same ability. See, I, I, don't, I don't have the same opportunity you have. You don't have the same opportunity I have. There are times when I, I, I just tell you, I look at other people and think, man, I wish I had their opportunity. I wish I had their ability. I mean, I got to tell you, I watched Brian Odom up here leading singing. I said, man, I wish I could lead singing like that. I can't. A lot of things. 
What about you? What's God put in your hand? What's God put in my hand? See, God has given me some opportunity and some ability. Now it's up to me what I'm going to do with that. Am I going to yield that to God? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said it this way, Who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou hast not received? See, everything I have comes from the hand of God, and He's given me exactly what He wants me to have, and He's equipped me. He equipped Moses. There was that boy born in the impossible time and reared in Pharaoh's house and then fleeing uh, justice from murdering a man and backside of the desert, and the whole time God putting him what He's going to need to lead hundreds of thousands of people out of Egypt. So I don't have what Moses had. I don't even have a rod. But God hadn't given me the task of leading his people out of Egypt. So what's God, what's God put in his hand? He says it down here in uh, verse 11. He says, as Moses is, you know, coming back at him again, he says, and the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Moses said, I can't speak. He said, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? I mean, God said, Look, I know, I know what I've done. I know who I'm talking to. And I've put this in your hand. Begin with what you have. Number two. That's opportunity. Number two. Number two. Obedience. This is the only factor that I can control completely. Opportunity, I can't completely control. Now, I can a little bit. I can put myself in the path of some things. I can choose, like I can choose to come to church. All right, I can choose not to come to church. I can choose to have my family this. There's some things I can choose that provide opportunities. Obedience, and then there's some things that opportunity that God just sends or he just put or there are some, some skills I can develop in my life, but there are some things I can never do. It isn't going to matter how hard I try or how much I practice. But this obedience thing, I have about total control over that. Obedience. What is that in thine hand? And God's been saying to me, what is that in your hand? What do you have in your hand? Are you going to obey? That's what it's all about. Are you going to obey? Chapter 4 and verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. That's it. Just obey, Moses. Just obey. Just obey. Go, verse 12, chapter 4. Go, and I will be with thy mouth, he says. What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? It's what the psalmist said. He, the Bible says he daily loadeth us, loadeth us with benefits loadeth us with benefits, 64th Psalm, 68th Psalm. What am I going to render unto the Lord for all those benefits? Solomon said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. It's really not that complex. Fear God and keep His commandments. I don't know what I'm going to do. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is a whole duty man. I don't know how I'm going to get through. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the conclusion of the whole matter. 
And Solomon had it all. He had seen it all. He had done it all. And he says, Phew, boy, I'll boil it all down for you, young people. Fear God and keep his commandments. I'll boil it all down for us, not so young people. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the obedience. Fear God and keep his commandments. Opportunity, obedience. What is that in thine hand, he says to Moses. And number three, outcome. Outcome. And may I report to you, based upon the testimony of God's word and much less authoritative but also encouraging, the testimony that I've witnessed with my own lot, with my own eyes that I've seen people. The outcome, God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. See, I'm not responsible for the outcome. Most of the opportunity I'm not responsible for. I was born to Jerry and Jan Hickman in 19-whatever, long time, 64. Reared, I mean, I've made choices that directed my life, but opportunity, obedience, that's, that's up to me. I can obey, not obey. Some days are better than others. But outcome, see, I'm not responsible for the outcome. Moses wasn't responsible for the outcome. Would you look at verse 21? Uh, at the end of verse 21, where he says, Thou do all those things before, wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. And he says, God says, but I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. Now, I imagine, I imagine that confused Moses a bit, and we, we talk about that some other time. But the point is this. It wasn't up to Moses to get it done. The outcome was entirely up to God. God knew the outcome before time began. Moses wasn't responsible to do anything except obey. Just obey. Moses didn't have to turn that rod into a serpent. All he had to do was cast it down. He didn't have to make that become the rod of God. All he had to do was pick it up in faith. The outcome, the outcome, God is trustworthy. Matthew chapter 19, remember the story? The rich young ruler, the rich young ruler comes to comes to Christ, and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? Now, that's not, a very, that's not really a difficult question. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, I, about everybody in this room knows the answer to that question. And Christ, knowing his heart, said to him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into, into life, that's eternal life, keep the commandments. And that rich young ruler said to Christ, which? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? The whole conversation going on there. Then Christ says, well, you got to sell everything you have then. 
and give it to the poor. And the young man said, can't do that. I got too much. That I can't do. So he turned and walked away. Okay, here's the point. The disciples are watching that. And they're thinking, man, we left everything we had. No, they didn't think it. They said it. Peter says to Christ, read it for yourself, Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 19, excuse me. Peter said, behold, we've forsaken all, Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. We have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? See, they watched that guy come, and they heard Christ giving all these answers, and then the guy walks away, he kept everything he had, all of his riches, all of his, nothing changed. Nothing changed in his life. Everything was just like it was. And Christ said, okay, you're good, go on. Peter said, hold it. We left all. We left everything, Christ. We made some real sacrifice. What shall we have there for? Fast forward down to verse 29. And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. The point is this, and I'm talking to myself. The point is this, God is trustworthy. He's not going to be outdone. And the more I try to hang on to and hoard and keep for myself, Christ says there, on down there, it says, the more you try to get, the more you're going to lose. The more you give away and lose, the more you're going to get. God is trustworthy. The outcome. Peter was saying, what about this outcome? Christ said, I'm trustworthy. God's trustworthy. You can trust him. Opportunity, obedience, outcome. And I say, what is that in thine hand? I'm looking. What is, what is that in thine hand? What has God put at my disposal? Opportunities? Am I being obedient? Can I trust him with the outcome? And here's the, here's the ultimate goal. And I've read this story like you have many, many, many times. don't know why I've never seen this because I'm slow. That's why. Look over in chapter 4, back at Exodus chapter 4, verse 31. Because here, here's the whole point. And here's where God was trying to get Moses and the children of Israel. <laughs> and where he's trying to get me and my family and you and your family and Tabernacle Baptist Church. Because this is the whole, this is his whole purpose in the world, period. Chapter 4, verse 31. And the people believed. Now hold it. If you want to run back over there, chapter 4 and verse 1. But Moses, but behold, Moses answers and says, But behold, they will not believe me. <laughs> I've just drawn a line right across to verse 31. And the people believed. You ever been wrong? Moses was wrong. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. 
You know what God wants out of your life? You know what God wants out of my life? Nothing except worship. That's it. That's the whole story. That's the whole story. What am I to do? Make Him known. That's it. That's the only reason I'm here. That's the only reason I have opportunity. That's the only reason God says, just obey. That's why God says, you can trust me with the outcome. Because it's all for one thing. That people will see and will believe and will worship the one and, true, one and only true God. Now, that's a pretty complex story if you follow all that through. But it's a pretty simple ending. And there was a lot to come after this. I mean, obviously. But I ask myself again, I pose the question to you as God's Word gives it to us. What is that in thine hand? What is that in thine hand? Am I going to use it for God? Am I going to give it to Him, give it back to Him, and let Him use it and do with it as He will? That as David said, that all the earth may know, save the God. And the people believed. And they bowed their heads and worshipped. And I think, I don't, I'm sure, and I, I, in my finite mind, I try to imagine, but when, we, when I stand before God with everything stripped away, just me and God, Now, he's not going to say to me, depart from me, you never knew me. I've gotten that settled. And if you're here tonight and you haven't gotten that settled, then that day will not be good for you because he will say, depart from me. And you'll spend eternity separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. But for most of us tonight who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and we've accepted Christ as our personal Savior, then we're going to stand, and I, 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 well, we're not going to do anything except just worship. But I, I think, Pastor used to say, the Pastor used to say, I, I think maybe God's going to say, op, open a room, metaphorically speaking, and say, look, Here's all of this you could have had if you had trusted me. Here's what I wanted to do with your life if you had trusted me. And you wanted to hold on to that, and yeah, you had a good time with it, and that's all good. I mean, Moses could have had a good time standing there in the desert with. And God's going to say, all of this you could have if you had just, if you had just trusted me. Just trusted me more. I put, those, I put that in your hand. What is that in thine hand? What is that in thine hand? And I don't get discouraged when I'm reading that. I get, ex- I get thrilled and excited about what in the world. I mean, 
what opportunity God has given us. That's what I think when I see all those kids coming in every morning. What's God put in our hand? Sunday school. What's God put in our hand? What has God put in our hand? And it's all right there. Isn't that an amazing story? Amazing. And we'll get to see Moses someday if the Bible's true. I believe it is. And I say, Moses, that's pretty cool, that rod. He said, that rod of God. He said, it wasn't much when I had it. But God, I'll tell you what, that was something else. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.